0: Well, good morning. How are we doing, everybody? Oh, man, I'm, I'm excited for the, the joy that's in your heart this morning. I'm excited to be with you on a rainy morning, but it won't be raining this afternoon, in Jesus' name. Uh, and we'll be all hanging out uh, in wet grass, uh, out eating together at our new land. And if you're new, my name is Chris Pleckenpool and you're like, what do you mean new land, new things? Uh, we are at the tail end, very last... Uh, sermon of a capital campaign, so you 're like, Sweet, we came in on the tail end that 's great, uh, and i 'm ex- so excited this can be a is celebration sunday we 're going to reveal what God has uh, done through us so we 're really pumped about that so if you 're watching online if you 're new here that 's kind of what uh, today is, and so you get to celebrate alongside it 's a great day to be here now with that, one of the things that we do love uh, to do is questions we love questions, so whether it 's about culturally relevant things. Uh, uh, on any perspective of how faith intersects culture, uh, or just about Bible things, or about this sermon, we would love for you to text us and give us some fodder for some questions that we talk about every Monday morning, and then post that on Tuesdays. So excited for that! All right, so we're like I said, we're this is Celebration Sunday, and so this means that today we're going to reveal what God is going to do through us through through our commitments. And one of the things you may not know is that before. Uh, we have, like, a, a a campaign consultant person who told us, like, hey, here's what you can expect. Uh, the people here will probably give about one to one and a half times uh, your annual budget for a capital campaign like this, so, which is, so our annual budget is, like, 930000 so times that by one, it's $930,000, a half is, like, quick math, 1.4 million, okay, something like that, and so that was what you could expect, and I was like, oh, wow, I feel like that's a little low for our people, and I think our people are really generous, and God is going to do something through that, and so today we're going to talk about what exactly we have uh, committed through, through that, but I want you to kind of know that number up front, and I want to talk about celebration, because celebration is something that uh, Christians and church people should be all about, because we have a lot to celebrate, and uh, probably one of the things that I remember most, just military-wise, was my celebration of, of finally graduating from airborne school. All right, so I know that for some of you, like, like, there's a ceremony for that. Yeah, there's a whole, like, you jump out of the airplane, or really, you fall out of an airplane five times, and then you, uh, you come to this graduation ceremony, and my mom came, she pinned on my airborne wings, and I was like, I am now not afraid of falling out of the sky. It was a great moment for me. And uh, I, you know, I proudly, like, my chest was out everywhere I went. i be like, I don't know if you saw, I'm airborne now. I don't know if you knew that. And, uh, but then, uh, for a while, you would be, uh, until you got to your unit, and once you got your unit, if you weren't in an airborne unit, that was just like a nice little piece of cloth of something you did, you know, forever ago, and it had no meaning. But if you're in an airborne unit and like, you, you jump like, to train, like, you're ready to go defend American freedom on the foreign frontiers uh, f- by falling out of airplanes, uh, you had to stay current. And so what that means is, is for you to receive the reward of being airborne, which means you got paid a little bit more, uh, you had to stay current on the celebration of your airborneness. And so every 90 days, you had to fall out of an airplane. And so, in fact, they'd have, uh, they call it, if you were a pay hurt, which means you were, there was a threat that you might lose your money because you hadn't jumped in two and a half months. They'd line everybody up and they'd throw them out of airplanes and it was a lot of fun. And so that's sort of what would happen. But the thing I want you to see is that in what happens with airborne, some people don't join airborne units and some people don't have an expression of re-celebrating, and the reason what happens, if over time you don't refresh or don't jump, you sort of forget how, which you're like, how do you forget how to fall? No, it's a thing. People forget, and so you have to go to refresher course uh, to then to kind of be certified as being able to fall off an airplane again, and I think what happens for us as Christians a lot of us celebrate what Jesus did in our life when we got saved. And whenever someone says, hey, tell me what God's doing in your life, you go back. And this is not a bad thing. Your testimony involves, there was I was eight years old, and I got saved at that church, and then, and then that's it. And so then, like, what has God been doing the rest of your life? You would say, well, I was eight years old, and I gave my life to him. And, I, and, and there's just something missing because your celebration is stuck at the eight-year-old. In fact, for many of us, our Jesus is still in our, our, the same Jesus who was when we were eight. And we've never grown up our view of God. And we think of heaven as a place where angels are hanging out uh, on clouds and playing harps. And so we've never graduated to a clear picture of who God is and what he wants for us because our celebration of what Jesus has done is stuck back somewhere. And so this morning, I want us to really um, curate and cultivate uh, our the celebration of what God has done to keep it current. I want us to keep our celebration current because today we're going to celebrate what God has done through us. And I'm so excited for that. But what I don't want to have happen is that a year from now, we're like, well, what's the last thing God did? Well, the last thing God did was there was this celebration Sunday about two, three, maybe it's five years ago, and you remember that day, and it was, it was a sweet day, but there isn't anything more current that we could talk about what God has been doing in your world, and there's a couple reasons for that, right? I mean, I think there's a tendency for us um, to put passion over purity. Like, we, we want to celebrate what God has done, but then life happens, and social media feeds get into our time with God, and, you know, there's there's all sorts of negative uh, media that comes in and the darkness of the night and all of a sudden we are at a place far from celebrating what Jesus has done in our life. Or maybe it's this, we just get busy. And it's not like we meant to like do other stuff. It's not like we meant to celebrate other things, but we sure found time to celebrate our fantasy football win. We sure t- t- found time to celebrate getting a bunch of likes for the posts that we posted, and, like, and you show your whole family, like, how many look how many likes I got, how many views I got. Well, like, we could sure find time to celebrate those things. And what my heart is this morning is that we'd celebrate what God has done, and we keep that current. All right, so this is where uh, we've been uh, in uh, this series Uh, chapter one, we start off with, because we're going through the book of Nehemiah, if you didn't know that, and Nehemiah has uh, 13 chapters, and so chapter one was just Nehemiah's prayer. This guy was focused on God. He hears about something awful that happened a thousand miles away in Jerusalem when he's hanging out in Susa, which is like modern-day Iran, and he comes to the king, the Persian king. He's like, or he's about to go to the king, but he spends four and a half months fasting and praying with, with the problem that he has. And then eventually he takes a risk and he goes to the king who could kill him for bringing his own agenda to the meeting, but he does anyway because he feels God has um, you know, pushed him to, to go that direction. And he asks for lumber and materials and resources and the king grants his request, sends him a thousand miles away to Jerusalem to a place he's never been before, but to a place that he has a heart for. And then he's got opposition from the HOA of like, you know, the Ammonites, the Moabites and all the other Horonites. They're not excited that he's moving in and building up a wall. You know how it is. I mean, you think the HOA gets upset when one of your fence slats is broken? Man, these guys were fired up. They wanted death to the Jews uh, because they were trying to uh, make Jerusalem a city again. They're like, that's a threat to us. And then internally, the Jews are like, hey, listen, there. I mean, why do we need to? There has been a wall here in 150 years. Why do we? Need to, why the urgency for a wall? Come on, let's just go back, live our life, and we can. Get, everyone can just get along with one another. We don't need a wall. And he had to overcome sort of that opposition by faith. And he prayed and he sought God and God answered and they built the wall in a record time of 52 days. And then they, they opened up God's word and they read it and all of Israel was convicted. They started weeping over it like, oh my gosh, we haven't been doing these things. And uh, then they were, just felt this deep sense they need to obey God's word. In fact, so much so, that the Levites you know, confessed the sins of Israel's past, of the sins of their fathers, and then their modern day current sins that they hadn't been doing because they'd been ignorant of what, who, who God was and what he wanted from them. And then uh, last week, we talked about their commitment. They said, we are going to live a life uh, for God. And they made two types of commitments. One was like lifestyle commitments that they would rest on the Sabbath. They would marry only believers in Yahweh, that they would rest the land every seven years. If you don't know what Yahweh, that's like another way of saying Jehovah, but the real way. All right, that's for fun. Never mind, Sorry doesn't matter. God, all right? So uh, so they marry only believers, they rest on the Sabbath, they rest the land every seven years, like crop rotation type stuff, and then they cancel every debt, all debts uh, every seven years, which for student loan people, you're like, sweet. All right, then, then they would uh, also um, made commitments to financially support the temple, and the work of the temple, and the maintenance of the temple, and taking care of the people of the temple. And then Chapter 13 happens, all right, and chapter 13 of Nehemiah is one of the most bizarre, anticlimactic, almost sort of depressing chapters of the entire Bible, which is a great one to finish on. (laughs) In fact, this was the, you know, the challenge presented to me was preach through the book of Nehemiah and then end on a high note on a really low chapter, so that's my goal today. (laughs) All right, because this is the most bizarre, weird chapter of all time. They just made this incredible commitment to God. But what do God's people do in general when they make commitments? They break them. All right, so that's what's going to happen, and we're going to watch this. So chapter 13 is where we're going to start. It is just the most weird uh, chapter. So we're going we're gonna to pray and ask God to bless the reading of his word and then also make it inspiring and, and joyful at the same time. All right, so that's kind of where we're going. God, I I pray that your word um, would convict us uh, at the heart level, but then also inspire us to live for you. I pray, God, that uh, as we read this word, it would would really kind of speak to us about how we celebrate you and how we tend to not. And so, Lord, would you do a work in and through us, Jesus, um, this morning through reading over your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so chapter 13 starts off with a day of dedication. They uh, they read the Bible and it said, no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly. And the Ammonites, whenever the Israelites came through and there were some slow people in the back, they killed them off. All right. And then God had to deal with them. A lot of battles with the Ammonites. And then the Moabites, as they were coming through they said, Hey, can we come through? And Like, no, you can't come through. So we war come through anyway. And then the king of the Moabites hires Balaam, who's a, a prophet uh, and who rides a donkey. You guys remember this guy? All right, so if you have a King James version, you definitely remember this guy. And so, what happens with Balaam is he tries to curse them, but he can't because all he can do is bless the Israelites. And so, he's like, here's how you can get the Israelites to curse themselves. Watch this. You go, you throw some ladies in there that are attractive, and they make them to stumble, and they don't marry uh, their own wives that worship God, but then they start worshiping your God. Bingo, bango, curse will happen bad things for them, and it does. It goes exactly like that. Balaam takes a paycheck, and then he's forever not a fan of in the rest of the Bible, okay? So that's kind of his his story. He's got a curse on him himself, which is not so good. But then we've got, so we got the story picks up. Look at chapter 13, verse 4 of Nehemiah, and here it is. uh, That decree had just been read at that day of dedication, but Eliashib, the priest, okay, priest, not just priest, high priest, we find out from earlier, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah. And if you're not remembering who Tobiah was in chapter four, Tobiah's like, Pff. he was on the Ammoni HOA. He's like, you guys aren't building that wall. If a fox were to jump, build, you know, walk on the wall, you guys are going to build, it would tumble over. Ain't happening. Good luck. Well, it turns out that he had some inside love. And he was like, he was related to the high priest. And so the high priest, you know, wanting, you guys know how Christmas goes you want to keep everybody happy. All right, so what happens, he prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they previously put the grain offering. So where they put the stuff for God, the frankincense, the vessels, uh, the tithes of grain, wine, oil, which were given by commandment to the Levite singers and gatekeepers and the contributions for the priests, they make that an apartment for Tobiah. Now, remember, Tobiah is an Ammonite who is not permitted, unless he converts to being a Jew, to worship the one true God. He is not allowed even on the temple complex, but he's moved in because, you know, Eliashib's married and his kids, and, you know, those family reunions are really tough. And so he kind of makes it so there's not bloodshed. He wants to keep the peace. And so he moves in Tobiah. Now, Nehemiah, if you think he'd heard about that, he would lose his mind. Well, while this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. We find out he wasn't there. I was not in Jerusalem for in the 32nd year of, of King Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. So, 12, so he got there, you know, the, the 20th year is when he showed up. They build the wall in 52 days. And then he's there for like 12 years. Things are going fine. And then he in moves... Tobiah. After he leaves, when the cat's away, the mouse will play, and and so then then, uh, so I after that some time I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And then, uh, what usually happens with Nehemiah is he starts praying, or he starts. There's some emotion, you know, chapter one, you find he weeps about bad things happening, but here he loses. He gets angry. I mean, he goes, Jesus in the temple angry, right? So, cause this is literally the temple and he, he was angry and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. So you just imagine, you know, he's like about 50 something years old and he is a, he is the governor of the area and he's just chucking stuff out. Of, I mean, it's, you ever seen like a divorce gone bad? That's just what I was thinking about. like, there's just stuff going, Whoa! and then you could take that, ah, that's your bedpost, and this is your clothes. Anyway, he's throwing stuff out, going crazy, and it is uh, out there, and he is angry and he's frustrated. Now, and you're like, okay, Nehemiah, like, the holiness, you're taking it serious. I really appreciate that. And then, but it wasn't just the priests that turned a blind eye uh, to the temple and keeping pure from foreign worship. The people had started intermarrying. Remember, there's, this is like not just an Old Testament thing. It's you believers marry believers because right off the bat, if you start worshiping another god, it's always awkward because there's going to be different things and different realities. And so like, even back then, it was like, don't marry, intermarry with foreign women who worship other gods. So, verse 23. In those days, I also saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And now, again, back in the olden days of Nehemiah 4, Nehemiah humbly came before God. like, God, we got a problem. I need you to fix it. And and he would inspire his own people. It was a really sweet thing. But he goes and he confronts them Which okay, yeah, that's good. Confront them, and then he cursed them. You're like, that's a little. And then I beat some of them. You're like, okay, maybe we cross the line here. And then he pulled out their hair. Like this is where Nehemiah. Remember, you got to think Persian governor going down house after house, taking a guy out of his house with his family, and yanking out the beard, going, "What is wrong with you? You are awful!" And just, I mean, because not only is it sort of hurt when you get your beard pulled out, that in general hurts. Okay. But it's like shameful to not have your face covered with hair in that culture, okay? It's just like, if you, come, if you roll in without any face on your, or face on your, hair on your face, then you are, you're, clearly you must not be a real man. And so he yanks out all, I mean like, how long did that take to do? I mean, he's just like, ya, ya. and then he has lost it. And then he made them take, take an oath right now, say it. And I made him take an oath in the name of God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons for yourselves. And then he he brings up the past. Didn't Solomon, you guys remember Solomon? We got the Bible here. King of Israel sin on account of such women? Among the nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Now watch this. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin which this is nuanced, but watch this. Did they, Solomon, did they make you sin? Did they have a dagger up to your head going like, worship my God? No, no, they were like, worship my God. It was a whole different deal. And so what happened, this, and this is what, this is in general what men do when they are not leading. They go, she made me do it. That it's that it's not me, it's that woman you gave me. Who's that sound like? Adam, like right, right from Genesis. It's like this you, you'd think that we like at some point would grow up But we just like this is you know, we're we're boys who can shave, right? Like that's the reality I think for a lot of us is that the We get stuck in this irresponsible, not my fault. I didn't do it. Stop blaming me. It's really her. Look who you stuck me with. I mean, anybody stuck with her, it's understandable that I would, like, you know, go a different direction. And so I feel like that's what happens over and over again is that what happens when men stop leading and start blaming, culture falls apart. Is that too personal? When men stop leading and start sort of like, hey, you take this. You, that's when the culture falls apart. All right. Then, then he goes, shall we, even, shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest... <laughs> was the son-in-law of Samballot. Now, Samballot, if, if you're not remember who Samballot is, he's the guy who said, who are these feeble Jews? Will they sacrifice? Will they revive the stones from heaps of rubble and burn ones at that? He's the guy we named the whole series off after because he was mocking the people of God, and then the high priest's grandson is married to Sam Ballot's daughter. All right, So it's just awkward, right? Because he have just made the priesthood impure. Therefore, I love this, I chased him. <laughs> like It's like, I mean, I feel like Nehemiah is so filled with anger, so filled with rage. He's gone from a guy that prays about stuff to just say like, you know what? It is all those women's fault. It's all, you and Like, and it doesn't, that, that sort of reality, he's just like angry. And he's going to take control of the situation. And so watch this, celebration was not kept current because passion overtook purity. Now watch how this happened. Watch how this happened three ways. One, you've got the, uh, the, the priests <laughs> moving in uh, Tobiah because he's related to him. And then you've got the pe- believers intermarrying with, with women who don't love God. And they're saying, hey, there's multiple gods. There's many ways to heaven. Let's kind of just worship my God over here. It'd be Okay. And then you've got the guy that was supposed to be a leader of the spiritual renewal and revival just shaming, the, shaming people a lot. Just shame and beating them down. And watch. You want to know why the Pharisees were so full of shame when Jesus shows up on the scene? Because this is about 400 years because that's sort of the example that was left. We need to reform and you need to get your lives together, and you need to start living for God. And Now listen, he had a great reason, because these guys were all broken. But you can watch the pride in his own heart just sort of like fill up and go like, be like me. And I think that's what happens when your passion and his anger overwhelms him, just the way their lust overwhelms them. Their need for security overwhelmed them and took away from the purity of their worship. And, and this is the thing, the part where um, this happens for us, right? In fact, Malachi, I, I love how, Do you guys know that Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, is a contemporary of Nehemiah, like they hung out together? And Malachi is a prophet and he goes, hey, listen, you have wearied the Lord with your words because you've said you're going to make all these commitments, which you haven't. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Does that sound like, it's so weird. This is written like 2,500 years ago. And yet, <laughs> strangely relevant. <laughs> or by asking, where is the God of justice? Like, God, you're not good. It, it, listen, if, you, if you're not a believer in Jesus, wouldn't you say? There, there could be no God. Because if, if God will let all this stuff happen, he clearly isn't God. But I, I think this is what happens for us. Listen, uh, listen our passion shifts from Jesus to, to, to good things, to, to things that at least are like good in general, to our work. And all of a sudden, you were going to spend time with Jesus, but now you're time spending time checking your email. you were going to spend time with Jesus, but, you know, listen, there's a stock market update that you're like, ooh, I could get on that early. Or you're spending time with Jesus, and then a social media, like, bleep, pops up, or your fantasy football team, because you haven't set your lineup yet. And you're like, oh my gosh, I, I got to and I got to get this done. And then all of a sudden, you go down a pathway. You didn't even realize how you got there, but now you're working on a trade with somebody when you were thinking about your time with Jesus. That's just what happens. And then our purity of our worship gets compromised. Over the past, um, actually, this happened just this past week. Uh, my son, Austin, in his elementary school, has got a readathon. Do you guys know what the readathons are? All right, so it's like where they can, if they read a certain amount of minutes, they'll get like a prize or something, and uh, Austin is actually really excited for the Popsicle Day uh, in the, the element, like that's like the big thing, and so my son, who has never ever asked me to read ever, like ever, goes, Daddy, I need to read tonight, I need to get at least 20 in. All right, who are you, and what'd you do with my son? And so we, we sit down, okay, we read, we go through, we read, and I'm like, I clock him in 20 minutes, like I can go I can do a couple more. It's like, you know, he's like, a couple more! All right, you know, we're we're gonna push this reading thing. And so we get 37 minutes in, and it was like, hmm, all right. And he's like, hey dad, make sure you well give me your phone. We gotta put you gotta log my minutes. I got you gotta get them counted, I need credit. And then he goes, and so not only is there a digital accreditation, you have to go downstairs and he has a paper credit. And I'm like, man, these people are serious about getting the credit. <laughs> All right. Listen, he has never once talked to me about reading, but here's my hope and my prayer that after this readathon is over, that he'll actually want to read. I'm going somewhere with this. So we spent the last forty days in prayer. Friday was the 40th day of prayer, and my hope was that you would take time to spend time with God and then what would happen is that celebration of the discipline of solitude, Bible study, prayer, seeking God would be something like, you know, this is actually pretty awesome. Who knew prayer eases anxiety? Who knew (laughs) God answers prayer? And then you would say, I'm gonna do that more and I'm gonna continue that which I did for like a special season so there would be an all the time thing, and so uh, my heart was that we created a new habit to be mindfully intentional about prayer, and so when you got in your car, your first instinct would be like not turn on the radio uh, for talk radio and get angry at the news, but <laughs> that's just me, I'm sorry. Uh, but it would be, I'm going to go to God in prayer, and I'm going to seek him. The first thing you do in the morning is like have an avid hunger for God's word to put it in your heart and to pray over it and seek him and seek the good of your church family and those of you who are neighbors and those you interact with who don't know Jesus. That, that's my hope. But that's how celebration stays close to you is you get to see God. Watch this. This is why I love days like this. We're going to celebrate something really cool today. Uh, but I want us to celebrate in smaller ways the, the way that God has answered your prayer when you're like, God, I don't know what to do about this decision, but you said in your word, James 1.5, anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives James all and it will be given to him. And then you did and you're like, I have something to tell. I'm going to tell this at work. I'm to, I had a thing, and I struggled, and then I came to God, and he answered me. And the people at work would be like, that's weird. Okay, and then they would move on, right? But then you come back and you say, I, I had this thing, and I went to God, and he answered my prayer. And they'd be like, all right, well, tell me more about that. And eventually you'd say, let me tell you about the God who is." But if it's not on your heart, on your lips, because you're not celebrating, then you're embarrassed about it. And it's like, ah, I worship Jesus, I'm weird. <laughs> right. There's other issues that, that Nehemiah found. He also found that the, portions of the Levi, that the portions of the Levites that had not been given to them, had not been given to them. So the Levites and the singers I like how it's the Levites and the singers. Like the sing- they, there was no singing go on who did the work, had fled each to his own field. There was no celebration in the temple because the singers who would be singing were out working the field. So I, was, I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe, the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses, and I appointed as treasures over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest. Zadok the scribe, and Pedadiah the Levites, and as their assistant, because this is important, Haman the son of Zakur son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute their brothers. I, I know I read names and you glaze over, but names make it real. There were real people that he wrote their name down. Who's your grandpa? Oh, Mataniah, awesome. Like that, that's huge. That's why you can rely on the Bible because the you don't find this in other ancient scriptures. Not talking about people's names, son of, son of, son of. Anyway, so he's frustrated, and he said, "Like we're going to reinstitute institute tithing. Remember that thing that you promised and committed that you do? You'd support the worship here, but it wasn't only that they were not supporting the ministry through tithing, but they were also they started working on the Sabbath." again, I'm so grateful we live in the day of Jesus being raised from the dead. And so our Sabbath is not a prescribed Friday night to Saturday night experience, but rather a something we get to experience every day. But I think what happens for us is we don't. We take our freedom to, to do whatever, and then we just don't do anything. In fact, this is what happened for them. It says, so In those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine grapes figs and all kinds of loads which they brought into jerusalem on the sabbath day so he loses it and he said this is where nehemiah remember he kind of has a the temper is like he's right here like i don't you ever been you've had a hard day at work and you're like right here and you come home and it's just like it's over anybody know what i'm talking about oh people are judging me over there all right. And so, like, you're, you've lost it. And so he goes, You guys better get this together. And then he goes to the, lo- the people who don't know God. And I, I warned them. And I said, Why do you lodge outside the wall? Why are you coming bringing your wares, your, your market right outside the walls? If you do so uh, on the Sabbath, if you do so again, I will lay hands on you. <laughs> I mean, like, this is where Nehemiah is ready to fight everybody. You ever been there? Like I'm ready to fight everybody. I'm going to go take everybody. It's me, you. Just look at me weird. Do it. I'm fighting everybody today. I don't even care. He's going to lay hands on some people. He doesn't know who they are. All he knows is they're violating the Sabbath. And from that time on, they didn't come on the Sabbath. Well, that was good. That would have been a, a brawl that maybe some people would have paid to see. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, celebration was not kept current because busyness overtook rest. What the people said was, listen... I gotta keep things under control. And listen, I, I appreciate that the worship and the tithing, that's really important, I'm sure. But listen, I've got bills to pay, I got kids to feed, I got soccer practice to get to, there's stuff going on. I don't have listen, we don't have enough bandwidth to to support the I mean, like that what's the temple doing for me anyway? And then on the flip side, because they haven't, you know, experienced temple worship, they're like Listen, I'm sure the Sabbath is important. I, but listen, I mean, I've got retirement to save for. Listen, and some people are like, listen, I've got to feed my family for the day. This is a day-to-day operation. So, like, listen, I know trusting God is a thing. That was a thing that, that the people of God did hundreds of years ago when Solomon, who was super rich, made sure everybody was taken care of through social medicine. And all of a sudden... They're like, no, no, this is a different day and age. This is the day of the glory days of Israel. We just got to take into reality where we're at. And so then Nehemiah, right, he sees their lack of trust in God, and then he gets on the high horse. And maybe this is because he spent a year away from the people of God. You know, he was out doing his thing for the king, and there's there's something that happens when you're around um, people who don't know God. You can either go, look how spiritual I am and look how lost you people are. I am so awesome that I'm part of this covenant community. Or you can acquiesce and be like, nah, when in Rome, do what Romans do. Or you could be really humble and be like, I'm so grateful that God has revealed himself to me and my hope, my prayer is that he revealed himself to these others. But I think what happened for Nehemiah is he got so sort of like prideful and he comes back to the covenant community he was so proud of that he had built and saw that it had fallen apart. He's doing it. He's keeping himself busy. and He's going to control it. He's going to make sure these people live up to the things that he brought the reforms for because it's all on him. And this is what makes anybody in ministry crazy because all of a sudden you're trying to fix Everybody. And you're going to do it with a couple of threats. You're going to bully some people into doing it. I know what's best for you, so do it. And you're ready to fight. And so you're not celebrating what God has done. You're enforcing. And that is just odd. But it keeps him busy. And in our culture, busyness is a virtue, right? If you do, if you meet somebody for the first time, usually, hey, how, what's going on? You're like, oh, I'm just busy. 'Cause you know, you don't really know what to say. You know, how deep do I go? How vulnerable you want me to be so I'm just gonna give the the virtue of the of the culture is I'm busy. Busy. You might be unemployed, but you're busy. You're like, I'm just you know, I got a lot of things to watch and, and things to do. Uh, you know, you might not actually have to do anything, but the, the thing that you'd say to sort of cover yourself is like you're really busy. That that's what we say. In fact, um Malachi 3, Malachi the prophet, he, he leans to this because he's, he's, he's hammering out this, this thing where their busyness reflects their untrust of God. And he says, listen, will man rob God? You're robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then he says this, and this, I love this verse, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to test as the Lord of hosts and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. And this word, no more need, means until there is no scarcity. In other words, there's gonna be this blown up in abundance. This isn't, we're not that church, prosperity gospel, but the reality is there is a blessing in store. There's a reward for those who keep current in celebrating who God is by fulfilling commitment to God. Now, the thing that I just noticed most of all in, in, as I look through Nehemiah is you, first, you start off with Nehemiah as a man of prayer and at every turn he's praying. When he has a need, he comes to the king because he, he's coming from a place of humility and brokenness and no power. But all of a sudden when he is put into a place of power, he operates leveraging the power to force people to do what they should do. And that's exactly opposite of what, how Jesus comes. But the, th- and the thing he's wanting to do is change behavior. But we all know that behavior doesn't change unless the heart changes. So, so watch that. In fact, he's so frustrated by this. He's just three times like, remember me, God, I did the right thing. Remember me. Just remember what I'm doing. Oh, my gosh, just remember me. Like three times in DMI 13, he's just like pleaded with God. I tried. I got these stuck with these people. These people you gave me, there's a mess. At least I'm doing the right thing. And what was interesting is that uh, Malachi, he's speaking to this, and he understands that there's something wrong with the heart. In fact, Jeremiah says the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? And uh, and Malachi says, "Listen, behold, I." meaning God, send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. I'm going to come and I'm going to make things right. Watch this. And then the very last words before God goes silent for 400 years is this. I'm about to send my messenger. Verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, statutes and rules I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes when Jesus shows up. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, because it's the hearts that's what's jacked up, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. To which you're like, okay, that's cute, but what's the point? No, the part is we have broken hearts. And then it goes like this, because here's, just in case you are wanting for your timeline factors, is Ezra, Nehemiah about this time, Malachi is right around here, and then there's 400 years of God being silent, and then here in Luke, an angel shows up. And there's Zechariah hanging out in the temple. And he's just bringing incense once before God that year to atone for the sins of the people. And then an angel says, hey, uh, Zechariah, I know you're an old dude and your wife's old, but you're about to give birth to a son. And he's like, I don't think that's possible. He's like, no, watch this. Hold my beer. No, sorry. All right, and he will turn many of the... (laughs) and he will turn many of the children of israel to the lord their god and he will go before him in the spirit and power of elijah no no he will turn many of the children of israel to the lord their god and he will go before him the spirit and power of elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the lord a people prepared now think about this the problem is you have broken hearts And one day I'm going to send my messenger ahead, and you're going to know it's him because he's going to come the Spirit and the power of Elijah. And all of a sudden, 400 years of silence, and that silence is broken by connecting same passage of scripture, Malachi 4 verse 5 to Luke 1 16 17. First words of the Bible connect to the last words of the Old Testament. First words of the New Testament connect to the last Old Old Testament. then it becomes this truth of that we celebrate Jesus who rests our busyness because there's no way we can be holy aside from his glorious grace. And he purifies our passion. And so the question then becomes, as we're, as we're wanting to lean into this, is is your celebration current? And so this morning, I want us to take a moment and we're gonna, we're gonna worship God who changes our hearts and he's gonna do something really special and we're gonna build a wall here we're going to go, uh, this is going to be kind of an experience that, who knows how this is actually going to turn out, as we actually have never done this uh, with a live studio audience. Um, this, is, this is, we're going to kind of put, try to build a wall, and we're going to experience God's provision, and uh, we're going to reveal to you what God has done through you in your commitment. We're going to put that commitment up here, and now remember, what most uh, churches do is about one times to one and a half times their annual budget. So think in your head, 900 times one or 900 times 1.5. And that is what we should do. And I think God is going to do something crazy with that. And then on top of that, during this time when the music plays, we have boxes in the back for your first fruits uh, check. If you want to drop that off now or you maybe give it online, however you want to do that. We want to experience uh, the moment of celebration of what God is going to do. But hey, listen to me. If you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. This might sound like a lot of weird stuff that we're doing, but we really believe that Jesus came. And he died on that cross. And he rose from the dead. And so everything we do is a reminder of celebrating what he's done in us. And every day I get to meet with him. It's not so that I can sort of achieve some sense of holiness because I already have because Jesus did it for me. And I get to rest in him. And he purifies my heart over time by just confession to him and confession to others as we seek him. So if if that's new to you, this morning, I would love you just as we pray, just simply ask Jesus to come into your life, forgive you your sin, ask the Holy Spirit to start dwelling in you. If you are a Christian, this might be a great time of renewal to say, God, keep my celebration current every day. Would you guys pray with me? Father, um, I'm so excited about all that you are going to do. And Jesus, I'm praying for somebody who doesn't know you, that they just showed up today. And uh, just for whatever reason, they're here. (laughs) Whether they got drug here or... They said, I'm going to come check it out. And Father, I'm praying that what Nehemiah got so angry about and people not doing what they're supposed to do, that he white-knuckled his own life and tried to get people just to change their behavior without changing their heart. And so Jesus, would you remind us that you changed our hearts. And we're free. And so today we don't come with like a a grudge and we don't come with like a, a guilt. We come with a day of celebration that you, God, did something really powerful through me. And we sing the songs because Jesus came to redeem that which we were horribly broken in. Our hearts were in darkness. So God, as we sing the song, as we worship you, Lord, would you do something even more powerful this morning? Would somebody come to faith in you this morning by simply saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you died on that cross for me. You rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Make me the person you want me to be. And Lord, for the rest of us, to worship in spirit and truth as we celebrate what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is mind-blowing. This is mind-blowing. What God is doing in and through uh, our church. I remember people that are professionals and said, Chris, you, your people could probably at most maybe do a million dollars, maybe they'll do 1.4, but you'll never get really above two. And so what God has shown is that through us, when I, this is just an incredible thing, what God is doing and revealing that we are moving forward and God has a specific plan for our church to move. This, is a, this to me is evidence of God's movement in the hearts of our people to push back against the darkness. And I want you to keep the celebration of this moment current. Of what, look what God has done through our church. Look what God is going to continue to do through us as we go forward and lean into what God has called us to do. I can't tell you how excited I am. I'm excited about $11. Somebody gave $11. I don't know if that's actually $11 or, or what, but the, I love that number. It's just, it's a strange $11 here. I don't know if that represents someone's like, I just, you know, I can do a doorknob. I'm in, I'm in for that. And I'm so grateful that the people did what God called them to do. And then over here on these other huge numbers, it's like God moved people in other unique ways saying, I want to be a part of what God has done. And that this isn't my vision. This is God's vision that we're just trying to keep up with. And so as we celebrate today, as we go and enjoy a feast on the land that God has graciously given to us, and we get excited and expectant about the building, the facility he's gonna have us worship in for the next forever years, my hope and cry is that we'd never forget and that we this wouldn't be the only thing we keep current that there be something else that God will be doing in your life specifically and say look what God has done yesterday would you receive the benediction go Go and be a people who celebrate what Jesus has done in your life go and be a people who take time and, and get excited about the movement that he has for us and the reality that we're going to experience Go and push back the darkness and have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.